This is a Brain Channel program from the Department of Neurosciences at the UC San Diego School of Medicine. Visit us at uctv.tv brain to explore cutting-edge research, treatment options for conditions related to the nervous system, and the inner workings of the human mind. Bill Mobley for the Brain Channel and uh, the program we call On Our Mind. I'm uh, here again with Dr. Irene Litvan, professor of neurosciences at UCSD, and we're talking about a disorder, a movement disorder, that is her specialty. Uh, she is known nationally and internationally for her contributions to understanding a disorder that is hyphenated or, or shortened to PSP. Irene, thanks for being here. Tell us about PSP. Spell those words out for us and, uh, and educate us about what that disorder is and how we can try to understand it and treat it. Thank you for having me here. Uh, progressive supranuclear palsy, that's what PSP uh, um, is the acronym for, um, is a disorder that occurs in the 60s. It was described initially uh, by Steele, Richardson, and Olszewski in a set of uh, seven patients that have the disorder, and they look uh, very characteristically similar, and they look at the pathology and they realize that they have a pattern of, uh, of a disease that they uh, call progressive supranuclear palsy. Uh, because it is progress a progressive disease and because it occurs not only that they have Parkinsonism, that is the slowness, the stiffness, and the postural instability that actually in this disease, in, different than in Parkinson's disease, occurs very early. But also they have other features that are very characteristics uh, of the disease. One of them is the difficulty moving their eyes up and down, and that is what we call supranuclear gaze palsy, and that is part of the name of the disease because the lesions are not really where the nuclei that allows the movement of the eyes are, but above that, and that's what is above the nuclear, supranuclear. And this difficulty is uh, particularly when looking up and down. Eventually, it occurs also when looking to the sides. Patients also have... Uh, difficulties with speaking um, and also with swallowing early in the course of the illness. And they also have some executive dysfunction, difficulties with planning, uh, difficulties with uh, sequencing, with abstract thought, uh, pretty much the functions that defines an executive person. So this disease rather... Uh, progresses rather rapidly in contrast to what happens in Parkinson's disease. And patients, unfortunately, do not survive longer than 10 years, and in general, uh, less than that. Um, and when you look at the brains, there is a, a type of protein that exists normally in the brain that constitutes part of the cell, particularly um, the walls of, this, of the cell, that is called tau, that uh, changes its form 
and aggregates. And so uh, as it happens in other diseases, such as in Alzheimer's and in Parkinson's disease, this protein misfolds, changes its, its format. And again, uh, it has been shown that in this disease as well, it goes, uh, once that happens, um, it allows the, the, the cell not to live. So the cell dies and the particles kind of go out of the cell or before its death, it, they get in contact with neurons that are normal and they make them sick by, again, making the proteins misfold. So the misfolded protein that is present in one neuron is communicated, is released and communicated to another neuron. And this, this is protein called tau, but it's not normal tau. It's not normally shaped. It's misshapen. That's correct. And again, what about genetics in this disorder? What do we know about that? So in this disease, uh, in, that is different than what happens in, in other neurodegenerative diseases, there is not a gene that you can say that really is com- mutated and that it goes from one member of the family to another. Mm-hmm. But this uh, gene tau is in, has some changes, what we call poly, polymorphisms. There are some uh, abnormalities of this, of this gene that occur in the majority of the patients. Uh, not all of, pretty much all of them. Uh, but what I wanted to say actually is that it also occurs in some normal people. So this kind of allows us to say that this is kind of a susceptibility factor, some factor that by itself, perhaps alone, is not sufficient to cause the disease, but it may be necessary. Mm-hmm. And either other uh, genes or environmental factors may lead to cause the disease. We have studied the environmental factors in, in quite detail. We had an NIH grant that allowed us to have a multicenter study that recruited 350 patients and um, 300 controls. And we investigated what were the possible causes of the disease. And what we found is that there are environmental factors um, that seem to be associated with the disease. Mostly what we were found that is statistically significant is the association with the use of well water. But there were other factors that were there that did not get to to have uh, significance statistically but they were very much probably aligned with the fact that well water is related to pesticides um, and is related to other toxins, um, that the majority of the patients um, did have uh, and have lived in, in farms or close to farms. And we also found um, that they may have uh, work 
uh, in uh, agricultural work, as well as in transportation hmm. and with metals. Hmm. Interesting enough, there is a cluster of patients that was just described in France um, in a small town in which there was a lot of toxins in that town and these toxins may have been related to metals and there were a lot of patients with, with this disease in the town that were found uh, to have a progressive supranuclear palsy even at autopsy. So there may be something there that we don't have um, full knowledge at this point, but there is a lot of uh, growing evidence that environment, it has a role as well. It's exciting. So, so an environmental factor and a genetic factor perhaps working together to cause this protein to go, to run amok. And I could imagine that the misshapen protein fails to work normally so that the neuron becomes sick partly because of that, but partly because perhaps this protein then poisons the proteostasis system, the, the system that keeps all the other proteins healthy. Are those, are those directions for research in the field right now? Absolutely. All those are important um, areas of research that are important for therapy as well. Mm. And this is what is really quite exciting. Talk about the therapies that are coming down the line. So with the idea of trying to contain this uh, misfolded proteins going from one cell to another, uh, treatments with antibodies are coming to surface. In fact, we have two studies at this point um, at UCSD with antibodies against different parts of tau. Um, it isn't clear which is the part that truly may be the one that is that may be more important um, leading to the misfolding of the protein. But uh, and that's why there are more than one uh, study that is uh, that is going on. In one of them, we have enrolled three patients, and we are starting with the other. And this is obviously very, very exciting, the possibility of having therapies that could truly slow the progression of the disease is um, something that uh, I pray that it would happen, and I'm so happy to see it uh, when I'm still alive. <laughs> and happening here at UCSD. So if those listening have concerns or interests in this general topic, but specifically with PSP, We'd encourage them to contact Dr. Litvan and her colleagues because not only are they experts in diagnosis and management of these patients, but they're also engaged in clinical trials. Irene, thanks for being with us and fantastic work. Thank you so much.